The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Back to your earlier question about the emotions, it was a really odd process because essentially you're you're buying your child's genes. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, he- that's heavy. <laughs> It's really heavy. heavy. Mm -hmm. And and you can, I mean, you can, it's like Amazon. You can add to your cart and then check out. I didn't, I actually called because I wanted to speak to a real person because it felt way too impersonal just buying it online. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Teen. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Liesl. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, what your hobbies are, what you eat for breakfast, anything like that you want to share? (laughs) Happy to. I'm actually from North Carolina and I live in Raleigh. Yeah, for several years. Cool. Yeah, I, I went to graduate school um, there, nice. and um, I lived in California for the past seven years after living in Washington, D.C. for a while, um, cool. and I worked for a tech company, and I also have a small coaching business on the side, helping women decide whether or not fertility preservation is right for them. Very cool. Um, I love trail running. I love swimming. I love being outside because the weather's always great in California. And, I was going to say, yeah, super um, jealous. I have a couple friends who live in California and whenever we go to visit them, I'm like, man, this weather is just so nice. It's so hot in North Carolina. It's just so humid. There's no humidity out there and it's so great. <laughs> yeah, it is so great. Yeah. Except when there's fires, but you know. Yeah, that's that, not so great. great. You're right. <laughs> Cool. Well, guys, today we are doing kind of a unique episode. I wanted to have Sarah on because she has a very unique situation. And Sarah, I was going to say too, I want to have you on, I think again, once you have baby to talk about a birth story, if you're willing to come back on. So Sarah, without spoiling anything, um, I want you to kind of go over your story of your, because we have people submit, you know, um, you know, what they want to come on and talk about. So I want you to tell me what your submission was all about and then we can get into your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a 41 year old single mother, um, or planning to become a single mother by choice. Um, fingers crossed. We'll see. Um, and, um, last year when I turned 40, I think it really struck me that if I'm going to have a child, it's, it's kind of now or never. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, Fortunately, when I was 32, and then again at 33, I, um, I did her two rounds of egg freezing. Okay. 
So I, the first time I did it, it was bef- while it was still considered experimental by the FDA. It hadn't oh, been really? approved yet. Yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, I got a, a cohort of eggs from that round. And then I remember meeting with the doctor afterwards and I felt really good about my results. And she said, you know, you're, you probably have enough for one child, but if you want a second one, you really need to do this again. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, all right, well, I'll, I'll go through it again. So I did that again at 33. And prior to even deciding to do that, I think I was probably in my late twenties when I, I thought to myself, and I didn't know what the options were, but I decided that if I were not in a serious committed relationship that was going to lead to marriage by the time I was 32, I was going to do something. And again, I didn't know what the something was, Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to explore my options. So my OBGYN gave me a referral to um, a fertility clinic. And then that's how I ended up doing the the two rounds of egg freezing. So my eggs have been stored, uh, I guess, for eight and nine years, respectively, ever since on the fourth floor at this fertility clinic in Maryland. And um, waiting, I guess, waiting there for me to decide what to do. And so last year when I, at 40, I made, I was still single. Um, I'd been in long-term relationships before one was leading to marriage and um, called it off prior to the, um, prior to the uh, wedding. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> we were in the middle of a pandemic. So meeting someone at that stage didn't really seem very feasible. Yeah, I can imagine so. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't the greatest plus in California. I think we were probably even more shut down than the rest of the country. Oh yeah. So it just, I I just decided, you know, if I'm going to do this, um, I'm going to have to do it on my own. And what the turning point was, was I was having a conversation with my mom and for many years, I kind of contemplated this, but never really felt prepared to do it. And Um, when I thought about doing it alone in California, it just felt really kind of lonely to me and uh, not very feasible. And when I thought about moving back to the small town where my parents live in North Carolina, it just felt a little depressing because I hadn't lived there in so long. Yeah. So my mom said, well, what if we come out and help you for the first year? So she and my dad offered to come out to California, you know, rent a little apartment and help me for the first year. And that you know, that was really the catalyst that got it going. And so from that point on, I just, you know, set appointments and started on the path. And yeah, um, I think that probably for a lot of women that one of the hardest parts is choosing the donor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took a couple of months just based on all the testing that you have to do both, you know, genetic testing, and as well as just kind of it's, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's like online dating. You no, know? I'm not. And I want to hear all about that process, but I do want to go back to when you were 32 yeah. or 33 and talk about that and what that was like first sure. before we get into yeah. like the dating aspect and the choosing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, so I met with the, um, fertility doctor when I was 32. Too, and she kind of explained the process. And to be honest, at that stage, I didn't feel a whole lot of emotion around it. It felt like, oh, this isn't my backup plan and mm-hmm. I'll probably never use these eggs. I just want to have them in case. Yeah. And so I went through the process. And um, for those who aren't familiar with 
the egg freezing process. Um, it's fairly involved over the course of a couple weeks. Um, you have to give yourself injections um, to kind of stimulate um, the ovaries mm -hmm. um, because what you want to do is you want to take advantage of all of the eggs that are coming in any given cycle. Mm -hmm. um, when normally we only release one egg per cycle, the idea is that you want all of the eggs to mature at any given okay. time. And so you're, you're given um, hormones in the injectable form to kind of stimulate that. And then um, the night before your retrieval, they give you something called a trigger injection. Okay. And so an injection in you know, your rear end and that kind of stimulates, you know, um, the, the release of, uh, these eggs. Okay. So then the next morning you go in, it's a fairly minor procedure. They sedate you okay. and they essentially go in and extract, um, a crop of eggs out of your ovaries and, wow. and that's it file and store them. Yeah. And that's it. Wow. Wow. That is crazy. Um, so how long was that process? Like how long do you have to just give yourself injections for a few weeks or like how long yeah. is the process? Yeah, I think it's a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, you're going in during that process, um, towards the end, you're going in daily for ultrasounds because mm -hmm. they don't want you to ovulate beforehand. Cause if you ovulate, it ruins the whole thing. Got it. Okay. So they, they want to monitor the growth of the, um, you can't actually see the eggs. So eggs are um, encased within a follicle. So what you're seeing mm -hmm. on, um, on ultrasound is actually the follicle. Okay. So yeah. you're watching the growth of these follicles and you want all of the follicles to kind of mature at the same time. You don't want there to be anybody out ahead because mm -hmm. you want them all to be kind of a similar stage of viability. Like primed. Yeah. It, yeah. Primed. It's a good way of saying it. So, yeah. um, so you're, you're doing that and you're also doing, um, daily blood tests because they want to monitor all of the different hormones to the levels and stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. And they'll often call you that same day with your results and have you adjust your medication accordingly. Ah, okay. So yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you too. So what is there, I'm sure there's a failure rate of them, of it not being successful. What does that look like? Luckily I never had that um, okay. happen to me. Yeah. Um, but I do know people will have canceled cycles if they're not maturing or Got it. if one okay. of the follicles is ahead and with a canceled cycle, it's really a shame because yeah. these hormones are very, very expensive. They're, there is, they're as expensive as the procedure. Wow. Yeah. So that's crazy. And so then you're saying when you did it a second time, it was the same, exactly the same yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, exactly the same thing. I experienced bloating and that was okay. pretty much it. Okay. You're not supposed to exercise much during the process because you're stimulating your ovaries. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, you know, I, I would go to work every day after, after my ultrasound. Yeah. Um, so it, was, it wasn't, I didn't find it to be a difficult process. Some people do have more side effects than I did. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what about the aftercare? Was there any sort of like did you feel sore or anything like that afterwards? Crampy. Yeah, crampy. Okay. I felt a little crampy. Um, I think there might've been some light spotting, Okay. Um, but I took the rest of the day off of work yeah. and then was fine to go back the next day. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so with them being, you're saying they were in Maryland. So now flash yeah. forward, I'm sure you had to travel to Maryland to get them 
inside you? Is that how the process worked? Do they like ship them to you or like what, what does that even entail? So they could have. Um, okay. So, um, so I, I, I thought a certain portion of my eggs um, to create embryos with donor okay. sperm. I'm happy to go into that too, but I kept yeah. some of my eggs frozen in case I end up meeting someone and we want to have children together. Gotcha. So I was originally supposed to do this in December of 2020. Okay. So that was back when there was, you know, this two week quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I flew to North Carolina to my parents' house for two weeks. My mom and I drove to DC, which was really far. Yeah. And I just, like, I emotionally, I was not ready to do it. Like it was the next step in the process, but I just, I was starting to panic and I didn't think that panicking was a great way to go into such a major life decision. Yeah. And just a lot of stress <laughs> and yeah, if it just, just doesn't feel yeah. right, it's not the right time. What were some of the feelings that you were feeling? Were you just, were you just scared or were you nervous or were you like, were you feeling like maybe this isn't the right thing that I'm supposed to do? Or if you feel comfortable sharing, obviously. Yeah. Um, I was scared. I was nervous. I had feelings of guilt about bringing a child into the world with only one parent. Yeah. Um, and not knowing, not knowing the the biological father. So lots of guilt questioning. I, I wasn't so much questioning if it was the right choice for me, but it was more if it was the right choice for the child. Yeah. And um, at the time, I, I've been working on a master's and as part of that, I have to do clinical hours. And I was leading a, um, a loss of child grief group at the same time, mm. which was a terrible combination Very of things heavy. to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I was just kind of going into worst case scenario mode. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. And so what we ended up doing instead, because I'd already been on the hormones, I'd done pretty much everything leading up to that point was the doctor said, you know, we can do um, a test. It's called an ERA, ERA, endometrial receptivity analysis or assay, I think. Mm -hmm. So essentially they do a biopsy of the uterus to see if it would have been receptive to the embryo implanting on that given day. Okay. So we did that instead. That was, of all the things I've done, that was far and away the most painful. It was really, none of this other stuff is painful. That was horrible. What did it entail? Because they're going in. Like they go in like right up top or like how through your vagina? So it, yeah. So it's more or less like a pap smear, but it's a lot more scraping. Okay. Gotcha. Um, And I think that my skin got pinched in the speculum too. Yeah. So that just adds to it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was horrible, but, but it showed, I mean, I'm glad that we did that because it showed that I was within the window of receptivity, Mm -hmm. but they wanted the results showed that I should do it. I think four hours earlier based on Gotcha. Based on when the progesterone injections began. Gotcha. So So that, so that you're saying happened in December, you had that go on. Okay. Yeah. That that happened in December. And then I decided I needed to finish school because I work full time and I've been Mm -hmm. in school full time just to kind of reduce one level of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and to finish my clinical hours. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do this in May. Mm-hmm. So again, I do all the appointments. I'm doing monitoring here um, in California 
and then they just send the results to Maryland. Um, and my last appointment, you know, I have my little suitcase with me there in the room. I'm, I'm going to fly out of San Francisco to DC. This thing is happening mm-hmm. a few days later and they find a polyp. Oh, okay. So what does that mean? I'm, I know what polyps mean, but does that mean yeah. that they can't do it at all? Yeah, okay. it means so they, well, they don't recommend doing it because okay. basically um, it could prevent the embryo from implanting or you could yeah. end up miscarrying. Yeah, makes sense. So canceled it all again. Huge bummer. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Had to have the polyp removed, all of that. So. Okay. Okay. It's been, it's been a road. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. So I do want to go back to the, the selection process and how that yeah. is and feelings surrounded that, you know, surrounding that and like how that even goes and like, what do you even look for when you're choosing a donor? Um, just talk to me all about that. All right, the sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. So this Birth It Up Baby says, Birth It Up Baby Sadie was born Friday, April 23rd. I'm so thankful for your classes because we experienced so many different scenarios, induction, epidural, unplanned C-section, and I felt prepared and educated about all of them. Even more so, I felt like my husband was calmer during the whole process because he had an idea of what to expect. Thank you so much. Love that one. Yeah. So we go over inductions, epidurals, unplanned C-sections in all versions of our birth courses because we know that birth is just, you know, sometimes it just goes not the way that you plan it to. So we try to educate on all aspects of birth. um, So you feel nice and prepared for whatever ends up happening. So if you want to learn about the course that this mama took, she took Birth It Up, the epidural series, and she also took Newborn Basics. Um, You can head over to mommylabornurse.com and click on either Birth It Up, the epidural series or Newborn Basics to learn more. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. Yeah, it's a pretty fascinating process. So there are, um, in the United States, there's kind of, I would say, four probably four, maybe five primary um, cryobanks. So okay. they likely do sperm um, freezing as well as um, egg freezing or embryo freezing there um, for donors, for donor insemination. So um, so essentially you kind of have, to, for me, I kind of narrowed it down to the bank first. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because one of the banks um, was close to, um, where my eggs were, but they showed adult pictures. And I think a lot of people want adult pictures, Uh but I found the adult pictures to actually be a turnoff because you would read these wonderful profiles and their baby (laughs) pictures were so cute. And then it's like, once they turn 25 or 30, it's like things went downhill. (laughs) Okay, I understand that, yeah. So I decided, you know, I'm just better off not knowing. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was really important for me was I wanted what's called an open ID donor. So you can choose, I think there's several different categories, but the two primary ones are uh, anonymous or mm-hmm. open ID. And anonymous means your child doesn't have any way. I mean, I'm sure with the internet, they could figure it out, but the sperm bank does not allow um, any kind of way for your child to correspond with the donor. 
Mm-hmm. And for me, I didn't think that was my decision to make um, for my child. So it was really important for me to have an open ID donor, which means that at 18, my child can contact the sperm bank and they will initiate correspondence with the, the donor. There's no guarantee he'll respond, but yeah, to me, that was a better option. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I kind of narrowed it down to the sperm bank based on those criteria, because the bank I chose only does open ID donors. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were kind of the first two categories. And then it kind of gets down to more of the online dating stuff. So you, um, you can search by all different criteria. I mean, you can search by blood type, eye color, hair color, occupation, ethnicity. I think some of them let you choose religion. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's far more detailed, actually. Like, he, this guy has a pool, this guy has <laughs> yeah. a nice car, like, this, you know. <laughs> it's almost to that level of detail, yeah. That's great. <laughs> so, um, but for me, the health history was the most important. So yeah. um, the first thing they do is they, they test you for all of these infectious diseases to make sure you're, you're not you don't actively have an infectious disease. And then they do genetic blood testing um, on the recipient. And I um, am a carrier of one thing that's kind of obscure. And so I needed to find someone who wasn't a carrier of that. Gotcha. Okay. And I'm also something called CMV negative. So I guess CMV is like cytomegalovirus. Yeah. 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 That's right. You would know this. So it's not very common, but yeah, it's something that they test for. Yeah. So <laughs> since I am CMV negative, that kind of dramatically reduced the pool because I guess most people are CMV positive. Yeah. And I think the antibodies can attack the fetus mm-hmm. if um, if one partner is positive and the other is negative. Is that how that works? I think so. You're. I don't want to say anything wrong, <laughs> but I'm not exactly okay. sure. But that sounds right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So that dramatically reduced the pool. So from there, you know, there were these guys that were six, three and blonde hair. And in my family, we all have brown hair. Everyone is five, 10 or less. I'm five, three. And I thought my poor child looks like this guy. He or she's not going to look like it fits in our family. Right. So then I, you know, I kind of had to weed out the, the blue eyed blonde, you know, six, three guys. Yeah. Um, so, um, you can also, I mean, the thing that was really important to me was the health history. So you get, I think there's like three generations of health history. You know, what grandma died of, what the paternal uncle had as a child. I mean, it is so detailed. It's like yeah. a dossier almost. Wow. And you probably know a lot more about that kind of stuff than like, Hey, you got married to this person or you're dating this guy. And like, <laughs> like this sperm bank has like the whole health history. And like my husband, I don't know what his great aunt, you know, what her medical history is like, wow. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. So you have all this really extensive information. And, yeah. um, so that was really important to me because I wanted to I mean, they rule out, I think, 99% of the guys anyway, either based on sperm quality or diseases or family history of cancer or family yeah. history of you know, this thing or that thing. So I tried to find guys where there didn't 
even with the ones that were screened out, that there wasn't any kind of trend within the family of some kind of yeah. disease that can be genetic. Yeah, um, And then the thing that sealed the deal with the guy I ultimately chose was they could choose or not choose to write um, a letter to the recipient at the okay. end. Okay. And this guy wrote a sweet little letter and it said to the, um, to the couple or the individual who, you know, who receives this. And it, it felt really special to me that he said couple or individual, because yeah. I think a lot of people just assume it's for a couple. Totally. Yeah. And so the fact that he had kind of that level of sensitivity really meant a lot to me. That's very so, cool. um, I feel really good about the, the guy that I chose and it was a very, back to your earlier question about the emotions, it was a really odd process because essentially you're, you're buying your child's genes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, that's heavy. That's very it's really heavy. heavy. Mm -hmm. and, and you can, I mean, you can, it's like Amazon. You can add to your cart and then check mm -hmm. out. I didn't. I actually called because I wanted to speak to a real person because it felt way too impersonal just buying it yeah. online. Yeah, you're like too far removed. You're like, I, 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 this is too big of a decision just to be clicking buttons here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And these guys, I mean, they are in high demand. If you don't, if you don't make a decision quickly, they can be gone. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I was going to ask about that else. too. So, how does that work? Is it like? a one shot, like a one embryo kind of like this person that you chose and now they can't be chosen by anybody else. Or is there a certain number? Yeah, I think, um, most of the banks have a 25 family limit. Okay. So, cause it, if the guys have to go through such extensive testing that the sperm bank pays for, I mean, ultimately the consumer would pay for it, but yeah. You know, they're coming in sometimes daily for appointments and they have to go through all this genetic testing and just all kinds of things. And they have to test the sperm quality. Um, and so I think in order, I mean, for one thing, for the sperm bank to make any money, they have to make it available to more than one family. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but, you know, it's kind of the honor system because they, many people forget to report their pregnancies back to the sperm bank where they oh. choose not to. Oh, so they don't really, like, I don't think they really anything. follow up with you. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I was going to ask you too. So are you able, if you ever do decide to have another child this way, are you able to use that same donor? So I bought two vials. Um, okay. since I was doing IVF, um, I mean, there's, I forgot how many it is. Let's say millions of sperm within one a bunch. Yeah. Um, but I bought two bought two vials just in case one failed um, or lost in shipping or something. Yeah. Um, as a backup. But um, when I thawed my eggs and had them in, inseminated, there's uh, multiple embryos. So I still have uh, frozen embryos from gotcha. from that. Um, from the first vial. And then I still have the second vial frozen just in case. And is this, you're saying the second vial is the same person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. gotcha. gotcha. Yep. Okay, cool. So let's flash forward now to about two days ago. Tell me what happened in that journey. Yeah. So I went, so after the, the polyp removal, I was able to go back on the hormones really quickly. Cause you have to do kind of this 
lead up, since I've been on estrogen, they had to give me some form of progesterone to induce a period. Um, and then after the period came, you have to remove the polyp on a certain window. I think it okay. stays six through 10 of your cycle. Mm -hmm. They want to do it before you ovulate. Um, and so after that, I had to wait for a, a second period to come, a natural one. Okay. Um, and then, um, so the polyp removal itself was really no big deal. It was more or less the waiting game for all of this. It just felt like eternity. Yeah. Um, and so after my natural cycle came, that second cycle, then I um, went back on estrogen. So what they do for, um, the reason why they give you estrogen is to help um, thicken the lining of the uterus mm -hmm. so that it becomes a good home for a baby or for an embryo, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and you would know this actually, I think it suppresses, um, the production of follicles. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, cause they don't really want you to ovulate. Um, mm -hmm. they want to control everything. This whole thing is very. Yeah. And controlled. that's essentially like what birth, like oral birth controls do too. It's like the same mm -hmm. mechanism. Like they're suppressing ovulation, but they're also like manipulating the uterine lining. Okay. Okay. So they want it to be a certain thickness. And so after it's kind of reached its desired thickness, then they put you on progesterone because um, your body's not producing natural progesterone because um, I guess progest progesterone is formed um, from what's called the corpus luteum, mm -hmm. which is the leftover follicle um, after an egg is released. Mm -hmm. So since women going through IVF aren't producing, you know, their own eggs um, in this process, they're not ovulating, you have to take progesterone because if you don't have progesterone in your system, then you'll miscarry. Yeah. So you won't, you won't stay pregnant. It just won't latch on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'm doing both injectable um, estrogen as well as kind of vaginal inserts. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of that is leading up to, you know, the big day, which is the embryo transfer. Yeah. So, so I had, so to answer your earlier question about Maryland. So I went back to DC again um, and um, had my embryo transfer uh, two days ago. Yeah. And of everything I've done, it was the fastest, most straightforward procedure. Really? So it's it like, was, it's leading up to this, this event and you're like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know. I thought, isn't there going to be a little bit more of a production made of this? <laughs> like why aren't they playing music or something? Like this Exactly. <laughs> I know. Exactly. So, some kind of fanfare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. So yeah. Tell me, tell me what, what that process is like though. Is it just a, like an outpatient kind of procedure? Do you have to go under anesthesia? Is there any sort of recovery? Yeah, it's super easy and straightforward. So we showed up at 1115. Mm -hmm. They wanted us to show up 30 minutes early by 1145. I'm kind of, um, you know, I didn't even have to wear a hairnet actually just oh, wow. booties over my feet. Uh -huh. And my mom was there with me and they kind of hook you up to the ultrasound machine and the ultrasound tech is um, doing an abdominal ultrasound um, while the, the doctor essentially inserts a speculum mm -hmm. and a catheter 
um, and up through the cervix into the uterus. Mm -hmm. And then the, they call the embryologist and said, we're ready. The embryologist comes in with this little narrow tube and the embryos inside the tube along with some, I think saline. Mm -hmm. And they essentially push the embryo up, you know, through this catheter into yeah. the uterus and on ultrasound, you, the embryo is microscopic, so you can't see it, but you can see the saline as uh -huh. it goes in. And it just yeah. looked like a little, I guess kind of like a tadpole actually, yeah, but like it just- a little bubble or something, yeah. Yeah, almost, you could just see this little dart of fluid go in. Yeah. And then the embryologist takes the tube back under microscope to ensure that the embryo is, is no longer in the tube. And then okay. they say, rest for five minutes and then you can go. I thought, okay. five minutes? <laughs> Really? <laughs> wow. That's, that's, it. that's it. That's it. That's it. Wow. Okay. So then tell me what the aftercare is like. Like, when do you have to go back? Is there any sort of monitoring? Like, do they tell you to take a home pregnancy test or are they testing your levels or like, what does that process look like moving forward? Yeah. So there's certain, so they want you to really take it easy for the first two to three days, I guess, while the embryo is going to implant. And, yeah. um, and then after that, you can kind of slowly resume normal activity. You can't run, you can't do kickboxing, obviously. Yeah. Um, you can't lift weights until the first pregnancy test. But other than that, I mean, you can kind of live your normal life. Mm -hmm. um, and the first, my first pregnancy test is, um, in eight days. Okay. So I guess that would be day 10. Okay. Post transfer. I don't know, around there. Yeah. Um, and it is a pregnancy test, just the HCG test, um, blood test. I could do a home pregnancy test, but personally, I'd rather not because I think sometimes there's false negatives and yeah. And it's just, yeah, your, your, your mind probably would like, I know if I were in that situation, my mind would be constantly wandering. Like if it's not clearly positive, I would be like, oh, did I drink too much water? Or like, is, did I not do it right or something? You know, so like, I agree with you. I think I would want to be in a controlled setting and then for, to be like, yay or nay. Yeah, exactly. So they'll test the level of HCG. And then if it's present, then I guess they want it to double every day. So you go in, I think two or three days in a row for um, blood test. And then after that, um, for monitoring, I think it's two weeks later, I'll go back to the place in California where I'm being monitored for my first ultrasound. Very cool. Well, um, I am so excited for you and I'm so like excited you. that, yeah, I'm so excited that we talked like fresh, like right after it happened and we can kind of like, I definitely want you to email me, um, in the next few weeks or next few months. I know this episode is probably not going to come out for a few months. So I definitely want to update people on your story. Um, if you don't mind sharing too, this is a little bit of a loaded question, but if it doesn't end up being successful, do you have plans of what to do kind of next? Yeah. If it's not successful, um, I think I, they, what they've said is you can, I think essentially come back the next month. So I think you okay. would get a period okay, and then they would start on the hormones again. Okay. Um, so I guess I would go back in, I guess, August or September. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. 
Cool. Well, I'm, I'm hoping for you, Sarah. Like I think and <laughs> we have you. the Me whole, mom, we have the whole mommy learners community and podcast community hoping for you. So I hope everything goes Thank you. well. Me too. <laughs> I have a friend actually who I work with a coworker and she's in exact same situation. Um, single mom by choice. And she went through the exact same procedure and she has a beautiful okay. little baby boy who just is six months old. So if that provides oh, wow. you, yeah, if that provides you any, like, you know, good feelings and good juju, then absolutely. <laughs> hopefully that's going to be you. your story. Yeah. Um, for I people that, so. yes, I do too. I do too. Um, for people that wanted to keep up with you and follow your story, do you have like a social media that you want to share? Uh, I have a website, so okay. it's swjcoach.com okay. and on Instagram, I'm swjcoachy, so C-O-A-C-H-Y. Coachy, gotcha. Okay, cool. Coachy, yeah, coach was taken. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, of course it, well, mommy labor nurse was taken. I had to have a dot between mommy and labor nurse, so oh, I get okay. it. <laughs> So so we'll share all of that in the show notes page um, for people to follow along. We will all be thinking of you over these next few weeks and these next few months. Hopefully everything goes well. And if it doesn't, hopefully the next time goes well. I mean, I hope that everything just is perfect and you you. wind up with a perfectly healthy, awesome, amazing baby. So good luck to you, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Oh, I loved it. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Big shout out to Sarah again for coming on to this week's episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, the 100th episode. I did want to give you guys a quick update of Sarah. So she is currently 18 weeks pregnant with a baby girl. Yay, congrats to Sarah. I'm so glad that her embryo transfer was a success and she is having a wonderful pregnancy. Everything's going really, really well. Due in April next year. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.